Hello, welcome to Beyond Parenting. My name is Beth Hardy and I'm here to talk to you about parenting, what it means to you and different ways of looking at it. You may have broken free of the chains of the cycles that have been passed on to you from your family of origin, but are you stepping in the direction which is supportive of where you want to be? So we examine all things from things to do with partners, teenagers, younger kids, blowing your top, self-care and more. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Here we go. Absolutely. And so this lesson kind of came back on the wheel for me again of why haven't you taken this time for yourself, you know? And at the same time, I had always wanted four children. I could not bring myself to abort this child for my own sake. Yes. And I, you know, this is the fourth child in a long-term committed marriage at this point. And so that discussion came up without ever actually mentioning abortion. Mm. And it was a really hard spot in my marriage. Um, and all my husband said to me was some people wouldn't have this baby. And that was a really rough thing to hear and a mm. rough thing to digest coming from your partner who knows that you are ill who knows that you wanted to put your health first, who knows that, you know, three. Right. Yeah. Who knew that I wanted four children who was happy with three children. He was very happy with three children and chose not to get a vasectomy. Right. Mm -hmm. And we both chose not to use condoms. I mean, it's not just him. This was me too. Like this is both of us really like, not following through with what we had talked about, like being done. And so now we're in this position, I'm pregnant with my fourth child and he's passively aggressively suggesting that I get an abortion without actually saying that. And I'm feeling like, what the hell, this is our fourth child. How could you even consider that? And in hindsight, he wasn't just considering the child's life. He was considering my life. He was considering my quality of life and all of our qualities of life because a fourth child adds a dynamic that I could have never imagined, like never imagined. There was not as much of a leap from two to three as there was from three to four. And so we decided to continue with the pregnancy and that was mostly my decision. That was mostly me saying if you ever say that again, I'm going to just raise this child on my own because I'm not having an abortion. I could not do it. I could not put my life ahead of this baby's life. And I knew that things would be okay. I'd been okay in my other pregnancies. None of my kids seemed to have any symptoms of Lyme other than my firstborn who had a bunch of different things going on. Um, And so I totally was like, I'm going to have this baby and then I will take care of myself. And so another round of birthing, breastfeeding, diapering, all the things, right? And and also not looking it, after it yourself. It was okay. And not really looking after yourself. Oh no, at this point, no. At this point, it had gone out the window. So parenting, from parenting in bed, that, that continued. That continued a, an excessive amount throughout that pregnancy. And then at that point, my oldest two were in school. And so that helped because I did not feel like I was having 
that I was like a complete and total failure for not doing anything with them. Right. Because that's how I was feeling parenting from bed. Mm. I'm not doing my job. I can't take them anywhere. Mm. I want to be able to, you know, go to the park with them. I want to take them to the playground. I want to be able to go hiking with them. All of these things I wanted to do with them. I couldn't do. And so I chose a really great school for them where they would get those types of experiences and an extremely nurturing environment. And so we chose a Quaker school and that helped to bring in those aspects of parenting that I felt like I was, that I wanted them to have and that I used to be able to do with them, but I could no longer do throughout the day. So Um, that was really important to me to know that they were in a very safe space and that they were very well cared for and had a lot of time and attention at school. Janine, I think, sorry, I think Janine, everyone will be really anxious to hear like what you have done. If you've managed to make some changes and actually start to prioritize yourself um so yeah if you could um tell us a bit about that part of the journey it'd be really awesome yeah so I guess them going to school was the first step in me prioritizing myself and that came after a year of homeschooling them and really recognizing that I could not step up to where I wanted them to be and so Mm. sending them to school was actually the biggest blessing for them and for Mm. me, because that gave me some time and space to focus on the younger two and to make time for self-care. And so self-care started, um, really then in a, Mm. in a greater, in a greater way. And, you know, at first that looked like a daily shower because before that there were days when I didn't have the energy to take a shower Mm. and there were still days, but now I had a shower with a seat in it. <laughs> and so my husband built this beautiful shower and I could actually like sit down in there and rest while I was showering. And so that was a good first step for me. Yeah. And then my self-care looked like seeking out other forms of medicine and mm. alternative forms of medicine in order to try to get this situation under control. And, you know, there were other things that happened as well. I, I decided that while I was pregnant with my fourth, I got drugged back into what I call my old life, which was making pottery. And so I was asked to take on a position teaching uh, ceramic classes over the summer as, as camps. And so right. I started that while I was pregnant with my fourth and then finished that after I had him. And so that gave me some time and space to be able to be creative and to be able to really activate that part of my body. And, and it gave me this idea of, wow, I've had four kids. I've done what I really needed to do to nurse them and to get them going in life. Mm -hmm. And now it's time to focus on me and focus on my health and focus on my career and focus on myself so that I could just be a better person and a better parent to them as well. And so, you know, it was really challenging in a lot of ways, especially going to more doctors Mm -hmm. because in going to the doctors again, you know, the infectious disease doctor said, well, you're doing so much better than you were when we decided we were going to give you the IV antibiotics when you were done nursing. And so he didn't want to give me the antibiotics anymore. He didn't think that I needed it, but I was still having all of these underlying issues Mm. and it started to be compounded by other issues. I started having chest pain and it started Um, it started like in the front and in the back, kind of in my heart space. Yeah. And eventually it ended up in me collapsing on my kitchen floor with radiating chest pain the whole way around my rib cage. 
And I literally thought I was dying in front of one of that my kids. Like it. That sounds like a heart attack, doesn't it? You know, I thought that it was a heart attack. Mm. I literally felt like I was being squeezed from behind like a great bear hug where someone was just compressing my chest and this to the point like where I literally sudden. looked behind me when really? it happened. Was this like all yes, of a sudden? it was that strong opinion. It was all of a sudden. It was after I was having some extreme emotional stress and I had been having these, I've, I've had hanging chest pains for years mm. throughout all of this sickness but it was always like a sharp stabbing pain and um, it would come and go. This was much different. This was a compression pain. It was, and it literally took me to the ground and I could not pick myself up. I had no upper body strength to push myself up off the floor. So I sent my only child that was with me out to get my husband and he came in and he asked me, he was like, what's wrong now? Because it had always been something. Something had been going wrong all the time, right? This is to the point where this man has been dealing with me being ill for years. Yeah. Like years and years and, and years. It takes its Eight toll. Years probably. For, and everyone. It takes it? its toll. It takes its toll on him. It took its toll on me. And so I ended up going to the hospital and was diagnosed with costochondritis which is the inflammation of the lining of the ribs, which is for a new mother or a mother with a toddler at that point in time was like not being able to lift my baby (laughs) and still Mm. nursing him was going to be extremely challenging. I couldn't lift anything. I had to completely rest. And so it was basically my body saying like, you're done. You need to completely rest. Well, I was in the middle of teaching this ceramics class and I had to put a whole other week in. And so I had to show up every day, but I couldn't lift things. I couldn't, I couldn't rest. And so I pushed through having signed a contract and wanting to fulfill that contract and knowing that I could, if I pushed through. And so I took one day and then I pushed through this last week. And then there was the total body collapse of just having to rest, not having to do anything, just needing to completely reset. And it really, it really like boggled my mind that it had gone so bad and gotten to this point. Mm. And so I went to the doctors again and again over the next year, because I would have this would get better but then I would overdo it I would lift somebody or I would lift something or I would bend in a certain way or twist in a certain way or something would happen and I would have a recurrence yeah now the recurrences weren't as bad I didn't collapse on my floor again but they were so bad that I couldn't put my shirt on or put my bra on or get dressed or all of these things and so Oh man, it was really rough. It was really hard with four kids and that. And, um, my husband finally decided that we were not having any children. He would get the vasectomy. That was a huge (sighs) relief for me having to like, you know, not think about getting, getting pregnant again, because I couldn't do it at this point. There was just no way. And four kids is exactly what I wanted. And quite frankly, plenty. (laughs) And so I felt very complete. (laughs) And so, um, I had to put my health first because I wasn't going to be able to take care of my kids. Yeah. And so I'm still having some Lyme symptoms, still having night sweats, start seeking out more alternative medicine because mainstream medicine isn't getting me anywhere. And then I had one more large bout of costochondritis and that took me out again. And so my doctor thought I had a bulging disc because how could I possibly have this condition that can typically be caused by an injury? And I had never had an injury and it's recurring. And so I ended up getting an MRI. And when I showed up for the MRI, they told me that I would be getting contrast dye. And I had never really heard of contrast dye. 
I knew that they used an iodine-based contrast dye in CT scans in the US, but I had never n- known that they would be using it with my MRI. It had just gotten called in and I showed up for it and I didn't ask any questions. I wasn't given any consent forms for it or the black box warning that I know now I should have received. And so I was, I got the contrast dye, took this MRI for this bulging disc, ended up not having a bulging disc, but ended up with a host of symptoms and problems from the contrast dye. So I had been told that it would leave my body in 24 hours. And I was told not to breastfeed for 24 hours as well. And so I bided by that, but I did not feel well. I felt flushed. I felt dizzy. I felt pain. I felt all of this burning sensation inside my head and chest and arms. And within 24 hours, I started to get a rash. I got an injection site rash and then the rash spread to my face and my, my eyes. I had what looked like a heavy metal mask all right around my mouth, right around my eyes, rash all over me. Everything I ate seemed to exasperate it. And then my baby started having symptoms. And so he started getting the same rash on his legs and on his arms and on his face and on his body. How scary. And so it was super scary and nobody knew what was going on. Oh, you must be allergic to something. Oh, have some steroids. Oh, it must be this. Oh, it must be that. And I felt like, shit, I am being gaslit again just the way I was whenever I was sick with Lyme and nobody knew what it was. And then it's late stage. So I started doing my own research and I discovered that I likely had gadolinium toxicity. Gadolinium is the heavy metal that they use in the contrast dye for an MRI. And it's heavily overused in the United States to the point of it being used for nearly every MRI so that the doctor can see better. When in reality, it's only needed for very specific types of breast or brain MRIs, very specific, not even all of them. And so I had this reaction and I went from doctor to doctor and eventually I got to an allergist and I told him that like, this is like three months after the fact. Wow. And I told him, look, I had this MRI. I had, I started off with an injection site rash here. It is spread to this all over my body. And he was like, I'm pretty sure you have gadolinium toxicity. And so he did a test and I did indeed have a reaction to a bunch of different metals in this allergy test. Mm-hmm. He got me to a toxicologist and the toxicologist completely gaslit me. It was, you know, that doesn't usually happen. It's super rare. I don't think that that's what it is. I think that maybe it's an, another issue, you know, here's a chelator, an oral chelator for other heavy metals. And so I couldn't even get the chelator filled. I couldn't get it filled at any of the local pharmacies and there were all these other issues. And so I kept searching for more doctors and I ended up finding someone who tested me and did, um, chelation. And so I ended up with like, instead of an oral chelator, I ended up doing IV chelation. And in that IV chelation, I found out that I didn't just have gadolinium toxicity. I had 10 heavy metals in my body that were coming out. Many of them from medical Mm -hmm. procedures that I had had, including barium from a barium swallow that I did as a teenager, high levels of barium, aluminum, likely from my vaccines, my childhood vaccines as it's used as an adjuvant and also extremely high level of lead. So I had Mm -hmm. lead poisoning Mm -hmm. causing, yeah, mostly probably from paint. My dad was a printer. There's lead in all kinds of old glassware in the U S I mean, lead is super prevalent. And so all these toxins that were either 
you know, ingested, injected into me or were environmental toxins had put my toxic load completely over the edge and Mm -hmm. basically brought me to a point where I couldn't parent my kids. And thankfully my husband was doing the majority of the parenting at this point. I mean, I was still caring for them as best I could and helping out here and there, but he was cooking, he was cleaning, he was doing all of the hard work to keep things going along with keeping his full-time job. And wow. so it put a lot of stress and strain on the marriage, mm-hmm. on the kids, because I am super ill and the stress and strain financially on us, because now I had to go outside of the traditional medical system where insurance would cover things and get these, what they consider alternative therapies, but are really the only therapy to get this medicine, this, and to get medicine, to get all these metals out of your body. And so my mom was highly supportive of me and helped financially with that. And she helped to take me to all of these appointments. And so I traveled three and a half hours each direction, two to three times a week to start and to get this chelation therapy. And so this is intravenous EDTA drawing out heavy metals. Did you have like an aftermath with that? So when you came back, was it tough? Oh yeah. I mean, it was a really long day. We would leave early in the morning, like 7am, drive the three and a half hours, get the chelation therapy. I would eat something on the way that I packed, get chelation therapy, which was a three hour therapy along with, you know, meeting the doctor. And then we would leave, go home, go get something to eat and drive back Mm -hmm. at times. And when I first started, there were back-to-back days. So we would actually stay in a hotel and then go to therapy again the next day. And so it was a huge strain. It was a huge strain on, on my husband, on my family, on my extended family. Yes. My stepmom and my dad came down and helped with the kids. So they would come in the morning my stepmom would show up. She would take care of the house and the kids during the day. My mom would actually take me to therapy and bring me back. And so wow. there was just like, I mean, it was the whole family pulling together to help me get through this. I could not have done it without them. Like I could not have done it yeah. in any way. And so that part of it was beautiful and miraculous. And I spent more time with my mom than I had in years but it was really hard. I was really sick. And so when I would get home, there were a lot of times I wouldn't make it an hour in the car without throwing up or without having to like stop because I was so dizzy. And yeah. And so, you know, and the other thing was that this is dealing with like a whole new issue. I was still having so many of these Lyme issues and co-infections going on. And I didn't even have the time or space to, to deal with those because now my body was in another emergency situation. I was in a poisoning situation where I had to detox because I was on fire. I mean, my body felt like it was literally on fire inside. It felt like it was burning alive at times. I had to take cold showers several times a day. Skin was slothing off my face just peeling, shedding in layers, my lips, all around my lips, my eyes, everything was just, it was a mess. My body was trying to detox as fast and as well as it could, but it wasn't, it needed a lot of help. And so the chelation therapy provided that, but, you know, it was really hard to parent that, that year, that two years, it was, I missed out on so much. I missed out on school events. And I missed out on, you know, helping my kids get ready for school every morning and doing all the things that I wanted to be able to do with them because I had to prioritize my health to save my life. And so I was in that much of a crisis mode and, you know, it's crazy that I had never prioritized my health like that before, quite frankly, looking back. Well, we don't know, do we? We don't we don't do it we're not taught to look after ourselves 
that's not in our DNA starter off the society. No, it's really not. And I think one of the biggest blessings that has come out of this is that my children witnessed me take extreme care of myself. Mm. And so I think they are going to take better care of themselves as a result of that, because they saw that I had to take that time to step out of my life and step away from them to heal myself in order to be able to care for them better. And so, you know, that's, that's huge in a child's eyes, I think. And probably the best example I could have set for them. And it's crazy though, that it got to that ultimatum of me feeling like I had to do this or I was going to die. And so, you know, it wasn't just the chelation doctor. It was 20 doctors. It was 20 doctors for all the different things, the rheumatologist and the heavy metal toxicologist and the specialist here and, and, and three allergists and everyone trying to help me manage these symptoms and help me manage, you know, getting my life back on track. And every doctor has a different idea. Every doctor thinks something different. Nobody was on the same page. And it made me realize in seeking out all of those doctors that I had to be my own advocate. I am the only person that is going to advocate for me. I am the only one that can schedule these appointments, go to these appointments and look that doctor in the eye and say, you know, that doesn't really sit well with me and never see that doctor again, or take into consideration that, you know, rheumatologist said to me, well, it can't be anything but the gadolinium. We have tested you for everything else. It has to be the gadolinium that set this off in your body. And so it became this, this theory again of toxic load. And, you know, I had already had all of these things, the inflammation from the Lyme and all the other co-infections. I had the heavy metal poisoning from the lead and the aluminum and the barium already in my body. And that MRI with contrast dye, that gadolinium, one more heavy toxic metal in my body, put it over the edge. It put it completely overfilled my toxic load bucket and my body couldn't cope anymore. And so it was this relearning of how to make my body be able to cope again. And, you know, I'm still getting there. (laughs) It's still a healing process. And so I did the chelation therapy and then I decided that I was going to go back after the Lyme disease and the co-infections. And so I did some herbal treatments that helped. I also had a doctor tell me that my adrenal glands were about functioning at about 47%. And so I did a lot of adrenal medicine to bring that back up, including stem cell injections of adrenal cells to help with that, which were completely miraculous in increasing my energy level Mm -hmm. because my low energy level from dealing with all of that stress and all of that sickness had completely depleted my adrenal glands. And if your adrenal glands aren't functioning properly, you're not going to have energy, no matter what you're healing from or how you're healing mm-hmm. your body, you have to heal your adrenals. And so that was a tremendous medicine for me. And I also got diagnosed with some other things. I got diagnosed with POTS, which is a, um, symptoms were like when I would stand up suddenly I would pass out and things like that were happening. And so fixing the adrenals helped to fix that. Okay. I also started doing some extreme self-care with plant medicine. Uh And so I had done herbal medicine to help with the Lyme, but I decided to use some native plant medicine. And so I decided to go and have an ayahuasca ceremony. And I, I chose a church that was really aligned with the healing path. And so this was in California. And so I went to California for two ayahuasca ceremonies. And I also was introduced to a sacred medicine called hape at the same time. And so hape is a 
um, medicine from the jungles of Peru and the Amazon and it's different per tribe and it's Mm. ground up herbs and medicine that's taken through the nostrils Mm. and typically administered by a shaman. And so I was introduced to that as well. Well, the ayahuasca ceremony the first night was tremendously beautiful. It was filled with love and light and sound and everything you could imagine from that type of transformative experience. And I had specifically requested deep healing. And while I felt like I was very euphoric and got this energetic healing in that night, I knew that there was something much deeper that I needed to heal from. Mm. And so the second night, there's always this beautiful song in the beginning where you're calling in these uh, sacred animal guides to support you in your journey. Mm. And I felt so compelled the second night to call in the tick. And so when I did that in circle, you could feel the energy in the room completely drop, right? (laughs) People were calling in butterflies and birds and all of these wonderful, lovely (sighs) animal creatures, deer, and just all of these things that we, you know, see as beautiful. And I was so called to call in the tick, this despicable little creature that had ruined my life. Right. (laughs) And that it caused me so much pain and distress, but I knew that I needed to call in the tick. I knew that that was where my healing lied. And so I, in that night, I experienced extreme, extreme death death in all of the ways that people will describe ayahuasca death to be extreme, like dying over and over and over again in extremely dark space. And wow. so, um, it was painful. It was embarrassing at times. I was just a complete mess Yeah, and Scary as well. was releasing over and over and over again to the point of like, not knowing who I was, where I was, what I was doing. It was, I was a complete out of body experience at that point in time. And I remember being in these, what looked like dark caverns and dying there and then coming back and going back to the dark cavern and dying there. And it felt like something was dying in my body. And I came out of that ceremony that lasted for me all night long. It was extremely long. Even after the official ceremony had ended, I um, was still in deep transformation throughout to the morning hours all night long. And so when I came to in the morning and really felt more cognitively aware of what had happened, I realized that I did not have some of the pains that I had previously. Wow. And then in the days and weeks that came, I realized that my Lyme had gone into remission completely. And so, yeah, it was really transformative and extremely powerful. And I'm so grateful for that experience. I didn't realize going into it, what it was going to bring to me. And it also provided a complete reset of my brain patterns and thinking that I was sick. Right. And so instead of the, cause you've been that, in this space for so long, I kept keep coming back to those thoughts when I'm listening to you, that you're just, you're bringing in sickness because all you're thinking about is sickness and like, but how can you get out of the loop? Right. How do you get out of the loop? And so I, that's what I use to get out of the loop, this sacred ceremony being held in this beautiful, loving space by all of these souls, being sung to while I'm dying, being held in this light and releasing this darkness inside me. And, you know, the ayahuasca itself is a purgative. And so, you know, did it purge this from my body? Did it put it just into remission? Did it actually heal it? You know, I don't really have 
any specific answers, but I know that my life after those two nights was completely different. And I came back a very grateful, very thankful person, very in love with my life, very in love with myself, very in love with my children and my husband, and so grateful for everything I had just been through. And I couldn't see that before. I couldn't see any of that gratitude. All I could see was the sickness and the disease that was overtaking my body. And so it gave me this new lease on life where I felt like I could move forward with grace and compassion for myself because Mm -hmm. I had not shown myself any grace or compassion. I had really beat myself up over being sick. I felt guilt and blame over the financial distress it was causing and over the parenting distress it was causing the work it caused for my husband and my family. And, and so it brought me to the space of healing and That's so really interesting. I continued. Do you think, do you think sorry, Janine, that um, had you not gone to the ayahuasca ceremony, but you had gone to any other space that had pushed you into changing your perspective, do you think that might have got the release and the shift of perspective to as well? Or do you feel that it was more about the actual ceremony itself that was the transformative element? I think it was actually the ceremony itself that was the transformative element. I think it was literally the actual ayahuasca vine that I ingested that was the actual Mm. cause of this. I feel like it's a very spiritual, very deep plant medicine that is held sacred in some cultures and used for healing purposes. And you know, that's really been repressed in, in society. I feel like, you know, I think that there are, are other medicines and plant medicines that can be used as well to help heal the body. I don't know about the physical healing of them, but I know that microdosing, um, mushrooms and MDMA in low doses is definitely a way to help heal the trauma body. I feel like the ayahuasca did both in the same space. But at the same time, while you have this euphoria and this sense of being healed and this extreme amount of love and compassion from the ceremony and because of the ingestion of the ayahuasca, that is not long lasting once you step back into your life. Right. It probably lasts for two weeks to 30 days, depending on your diet, because you have to prepare with a very specific diet in order Mm -hmm. to accept that medicine. And I also think that it requires an extreme amount of reintegration into your life, because while you have Mm -hmm. healed yourself and while you're in this space of loving, light-filled energy you come back to your life and it really made me see all of the things that have happened because of my illness and things that I had Mm. caused and the disrepair and the entropy that had happened in the house space, in my children, in, you know, the illness and anger issues I had been dealing with, with being sick. And Mm. you look at everyone and they haven't experienced that healing they're still in that space of, of hurt or of neglect or of, you know, and so it, it was a really big integration for me, a reintegration into my life Mm -hmm. and looking at it from this objective perspective, like, oh man, I caused that. And even though it may not have been my fault that I caused it, now I have to lead a new path and set a new example so that we can all heal collectively from this. Mm. And so while I had been on this healing journey for over a decade or two, you know, two decades, really, you know, it, it brought it into a new light of responsibility for me and made me fully take responsibility for my life. Yeah. And so that perspective was just invaluable. There's 
no value you could place on that type of experience and being held like that. Mm. And so, you know, that progressed into my daily meditation practice. Okay. And so I'm probably like 550 plus almost 600 days of a daily meditation practice. And I also started using hoppe ceremonially on a regular basis to help cleanse the body. And so different um, Sorry, combinations that of that. That's the, so that's the medicine that I was given before an ayahuasca ceremony. Okay. And so it was administered by a shaman. Mm. Um, and it's basically a little teeny tiny amount of ground herbs and tobacco that are shot into your nose. And um, you can self-administer it using a curipe, but always in a sacred ceremonial manner. And it brings you into like a deep meditative space. Okay. It decalcifies the pineal gland and it also helps to cleanse the body, cleanse the blood and each herbal preparation, depending on which tribe is a little bit different and has a different purpose. And so each of them you'll experience a little bit differently. And that's really helped me to take time for myself every day, Mm -hmm. the meditation practice, um, to make space for that twice in my day in the morning and in the evening and to reset. Yeah. And then of course, as you know, Beth, I've used Dr. Joe Dispenza's work as well both in the meditations and working through rewiring the brain. And so, you know, with your guidance and coaching that helped to bring about another path of healing of Mm -hmm. stepping into my own power in my business and in my parenting, Mm. recognizing my triggers and, you know, coming back to where I really wanted to be parenting from 14 years ago when I started this journey. <laughs> and so yeah, sometimes it's this really big circle, right? It's this really big circle that comes around. And sometimes there are these little circles that come around and to teach us lessons. If you haven't learned it, maybe every week, maybe every month, maybe yeah. every year, you know, this is something that's come back to me over a decade later. Yeah. And it's, I'm getting the message this time. (laughs) And so (laughs) it's really nice to be able to step into that space and have my children honor that space Yeah, for them to see me meditating, you know, when they're coming home from school and to know that, you know, it's, it will be time for them in a moment. And it's, it's changed my daily perspective on my life as well, because I know that I'm healing now and that I'm no longer sick. I'm healing. And so to change your mantra from, I don't feel well to, I am healing may just be a little shift, but in the grand scheme of things, it's a gigantic shift in the way that you think about it. Really important to go from those negative, negative bound things that pull you down to the positive things that pull, pull you up into where you want to be. Because if you're always saying or looking around for solutions to being sick, or you're just surrounded by being sick and thinking about sickness, right? Yes. And so being on the healing path instead of the sickness path has been a hugely transformative experience. And a lot of that helped me to step out of the realm of wanting to go back to the doctor to say, well, maybe it's this or maybe it's this. Because now, I mean, I have a laundry list of things that I'm diagnosed with. Like that is enough. Like I, now I'm just healing in general from all of it. My body is healing. And so it doesn't need to be healing from this specific disease or this specific pathogen or this specific condition. It's just healing in general. And so moving into that thought process as well has really helped to bring about so much abundance into my life Mm. in so many ways. And so I have so much gratitude for that. I bet. 
that's such an incredible journey, Janine. Um, thank you so much for sharing your ups and downs and all your learning from, from everything you've done. It's um, incredibly insightful the way you've navigated that path. Now, before we finish, I've got some rapid fire questions for you. Are you up for that? I'm up yeah. for that. Okay. So what is the worst thing about being a parent? Oh, the worst thing about being a parent is definitely taking time, not taking time for myself, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think the, you know, it's really hard to set those boundaries mm -hmm. and to say, I need this time for my healing and right. I need this time for myself. And that is a challenge for me on a daily basis mm. as a giver and as a provider and somebody who wants to take care of everybody else. That yes. is by far my most challenging lesson that I have learned yeah. is to care for myself first. And I can imagine it's really hard given that your history as well of having all that time where you couldn't care. So you kind of half trying to compensate for what was as well, which must be extra challenging. Okay. Yes. Number two, what is the best thing about being a parent, being a parent? Sorry. Oh, the best thing about being a parent is definitely watching each of my ch children come into their own space and seeing them develop with their own individual interests. I've never really put any activities upon them or, you know, wanted them to be any specific thing other than themselves. And so watching my 14 year old become an engineer, watching my 12 year old be a dancer, watching my eight year old love animals and watching my six year old be so intrigued with war and with soldiers and with all of his um, things like that right now is definitely so good. It is so good to see them come into their own and know that I'm there to just support them and being themselves. Yeah. Awesome. So parenting broke you down, lifted you up or both? Oh, <laughs> all of the things <laughs> broke me down, lifted me up, spun me around, threw me down, <laughs> threw me to the highest heights of, of the mountain. I mean, yeah, it's all of it. There's, it you know, and it's not all one or all the other at the same time. Yeah. There are moments when one child's in ecstasy over something they've just achieved and someone else is having a meltdown on the floor yes. over here. I mean, yes. It's sometimes everything at once. And so, yeah, that's, it, it has to be expected for it to be all over the place. Yeah. And for us to ride the wave. Yeah. Just to ride the wave every moment. Janine, what's your favorite thing about you? Oh man, <laughs> that's a hard one. <laughs> Uh, I think my favorite thing about me is, oh, my resilience. I think that I'm a super resilient person. I also think that I don't really want to have to be a resilient person. So not only the resilience, but my transformative nature, mm. I'm able to be able to transform into something new and someone new with each of these experiences yeah. with each child, with each hardship, with each illness, with each healing, I think allowing myself the space and the compassion and the grace to be able to be a changing being mm. is probably my favorite thing about me awesome. because when I give that to myself, I can give that to other people too. Yeah. Definitely. And what do you think is the most important job of a parent is? Just a parent. Oh, unconditional love. By far. I think it's mm. unconditional love. I think we can love people with conditions very easily. And we can love our children with conditions very easily yes. when they're good or when they're behaving or when they're nice or when they're kind. But I think that the biggest job and the most important thing to do is to, you know, practice unconditional love. No matter and what. I say practice yeah. it because 
it's a practice. It is it's a practice. A lot yeah. of work. It's something you can show up for daily, right? It's it's a practice. So, yeah, yeah. The no matter what, like you're hitting me, but I'm hugging you, sort of thing. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much, Janine. Is there anything that you want to um, to add or tell us about what you're doing before we go? Well, Beth, I just want to thank you for this time because it was really awesome to be able to share my journey. And, you know, I just hope that that inspires someone to keep on the healing path wherever they're at and provides them some hope for, you know, there will be days when you're parenting from bed and there will be days where you are parenting on the highest mountain that you just hiked with your children and there will be every day in between and to just show ourselves compassion and grace throughout all of that is the most important part you know i i help with lots of things um with coaching and I'm planning to have a membership site to help support parents that are dealing with chronic illness. And so, you know, those are up and coming. They're slow and steady progress because at this point in my life, slow and steady is the way that's how I maintain Mm -hmm. my energy. And I love to help teach other people how to maintain their energy in that way. You can only give from a, from a full cup. And so filling our cup in order to be able to give is a high priority in my life and I feel like that should be a high priority in everyone's life that's certainly the theme of today I think thank you so much for all that Janine and um yes I'm sure it'll be fascinating to hear what people have to say when they hear your story and um yeah best of luck with continuing on your healing journey Janine thank you thank you so much Beth thank you I appreciate this time together Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast with me, Beth Hardy. And if you want to connect with me more, you can get along to any of my socials, Your Family Wellbeing Coach on TikTok and Instagram. And you can find me at Stop the Triggers on Facebook. I hope to connect with you very soon. If you have a question that you want answering, we might be able to do a podcast all about that so please do drop me a line so grateful for everyone who listens to this podcast see if you can rate and subscribe so we can make it bigger and better every week